Good morning, everyone. My name is Lee Grander. I serve as a pastoral resident here at Park, and it's a joy to serve. It's a joy to be with you this morning, and it's also a joy that I got my grandparents in the house uh, with me today who have served in the church their entire life. Well, in 1970, there was a 24-year-old who liked this group. He wasn't part of a group. His character was in no way shaped by the group, and he did not have a relationship with the members of the group. He was a stranger. His character had been formed growing up most likely in in India, probably while attending a British-style boarding school, and his identity was Farouk Balsara. We know him as Freddie Mercury. If it weren't for the movie Bohemian Rhapsody, I'd probably not even know about him. Before seeing that movie, I had never heard Freddie's name. Though, I knew Queen. What's interesting about Freddie Mercury's life is that as soon as he became part of Brian May and and Roger Taylor's group, which added John Deacon later, the name Freddie Mercury slowly faded. And the bright lights, concert after concert, would just say, Queen. When Mercury was part of Queen, everything changed. His identity changed. It was Queen. His character, he was useful to the band. And his relationship, he actually had a relationship with May and Rogers. Being in the band changed everything for him. And this morning in our text, as we open up Philemon, we're going to see a similar but greater truth. That when we are part of God's family, it changes who we are. Last week we began our sermon series looking at the uh, letter, the short letter of Philemon. And Jamie reminded us that we were made for family, that we long for family, and we need the family. But most importantly, he said what we were created for, what we long for, and what we need is only satisfied when we're adopted into the family of God. This week, we are going to see that being part of the family brings transformation in three areas to who we are. When we are in God's family, our identity, our character, and our relationships are transformed. Let's jump in and read the letter that Paul wrote to Philemon and focus then We'll read the whole thing, and then we'll focus in on just verses 8 to 16, which is our passage today. So go ahead, open up your Bibles, find your way to Philemon. It's that short letter just before Hebrews, and when you got it, go ahead and yell, I got it. Here we go. Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved fellow worker, and Apphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and the church in your house. Grace to you and peace from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers, because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have towards the Lord Jesus and for all of the saints. And I pray that the sharing Remember last week, the koinonia, better translated as fellowship or communion. Paul says, I pray that the koinonia of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing 
that is in us for the sake of Christ. For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. Accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, yet for love's sake, I prefer to appeal to you. I, Paul, an old man and now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my child, Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Formerly, he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. I am sending him back to you, sending my very heart. I would have been really glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. But I prefer to do nothing without your consent, in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but of your own accord. For this, perhaps, is why he parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever, no longer as bondservant, but more than a bondservant, as a beloved Brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. So if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it. To say nothing of your owing me, even your own self. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I say. At the same time, prepare a guest room for me, for I am hoping that through your prayers, I will be graciously given to you. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends greeting to you, and so to Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful this morning that you have drawn us into this place where we get to hear from you, and you just spoke to us. Father, we heard your word. Now I pray that you would give us ears to hear and eyes to see. God, would you humble our hearts so that we would come to receive, to be fed by your word. God, we need it. As we walk with you, we need your encouragement. We need reminders of who you are and who we are. So Father, would you do that this morning? Would you glorify yourself? Would you magnify Christ in our time together that we would be encouraged? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. As we heard, this letter is Paul writing to Philemon regarding an appeal to receive Onesimus, who was his runaway slave. We mentioned this last week, but it's important to say again. Slavery in this context, in Philemon's context, is not how we think about it today. In Philemon's day, it wasn't based on race, kidnapping, and it wasn't for a lifetime. The type of slavery that was happening in this context is more of what we think of when we say indentured servitude, as an indentured servant. Next week, we are going to address slavery a little bit more head-on. Thanks, Brother Jamie. 
But this week, we're going to exclusively look at the basis on which Paul will make his appeal to Philemon to receive Onesimus. The basis. Why should he receive him? And the basis on which Paul will make this appeal is that Onesimus is part of the family. Paul will show that Onesimus, as part of the family, has been transformed in three different ways. So the first transformation. In the family of God, we receive new identity. If you look with me at verses 8 to 10, we will see the first transformation that happens when we're part of the family. It's really beautiful that Paul begins and says, Though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, yet, keyword, yet, for love's sake, I prefer to appeal to you. Paul is kind of setting us up here. He's letting us know what we're getting into. He's saying that this little letter will explode with love. Namely, the love of God displayed in the gospel. The first transformation that happens as a member of God's family is we receive a new identity. Paul goes on to say, I, Paul, an old man and a prisoner also for Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my child, Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Now you can probably imagine with me, right, that Philemon is reading this letter with Onesimus, his former runaway slave, standing right by him. And we're thinking, man, this is, this is the guy who ran away and stole from me. And this letter is from Paul, the man who led me to faith in Christ. This was interesting. This was probably difficult when he said, Onesimus is my child. I am his father. And what I want to point out here is the father-son language. It's so important. Because it points us to a greater reality than merely the relationship between Onesimus and Paul. It's pointing us to the relationship between God and Onesimus. Somewhere along the way, Paul discipled Onesimus. We don't know the details, but we do know that Paul shared his life with him, even in a difficult circumstance, to reveal that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, died for our sin and rose again eternally triumph, triumphant over Satan's sin and death, so that there is now no condemnation for those who believe in Jesus, only everlasting joy. And somewhere along the way, we know Onesimus believed, and his identity was transformed to a child of God. This is Onesimus' story. And it's also all of ours who have believed in Christ as well. It's my story. I'm not the same. My identity is not what it once was. I am no longer a drug-abusing, promiscuous, glory-seeking, spotlight-hungry, disobedient son and rebel of God like I once was. You can ask my family. By God's grace, by God's grace, those things have died. And he has raised me into a new identity. Who knows this morning that it's easy to forget your true identity? Nobody, just me. (laughs) 
I don't know about you guys if you're not, not just saying it, but sometimes I struggle to remember my identity. So we've got to be reminded of it. And God gives us an example in this text. He reminds us who we are. For those who are part of the family, the blood-bought, sin-forgiven, redeemed recipients of God's grace, the old has passed away and the new has come. The creator of heaven and earth says you. Yes, you. Regardless of your past, what it might have looked like, he said when you believed in Jesus, you became my child, my son, my daughter, And I am your father. When we are a part of the family, our identity is transformed. Onesimus' identity was transformed, evident in that Paul says he's a child. He's my child, and I'm his father. The second transformation that happens when we're part of God's family is in our character. Look with me back at verse 11 and 14. 11 through 14, rather. Paul kicks it off, formerly he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. Paul says because of his new identity, Onesimus is now useful. And in verse 13, Paul says, so useful, I would have liked to keep him with me in order that he might do what? That he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. As a runaway... Onesimus could not be useful to Philemon. And we get that. When we're not present, we can't be useful. For an example, when we're at work and we check out, you know, we begin to daydream, we surf the web, we're not useful to our employer. When I'm at home and Kelsey yells, can you change Wyatt's diaper? As I'm running out the back door saying, maybe next time. (laughs) Doesn't happen that often. I'm not useful to her. And when we turn our backs on God, when we run away from him, we're not useful. We've just got our minds set so much on us. You can't participate in the work your employer gave you or the needs of your husband or wife or the mission of God as a runaway, as those who flee. But that's the reality of people. We're runaways. God has created us for a relationship with him, and he has created us to flourish. But God's word says we all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. We are like, spiritually, like Onesimus, except we have run away from our heavenly master, a good and perfect master, who cares for his people, who gives them what is his, who loves them unconditionally, gives them life and sustains it and has created everything in this world. When we ran away from God, we sinned against God. We chose our version of rest over his divine rest. Our version of comfort over his divine comfort. We have chosen to worship ourselves or lesser things rather than the divine one who has created us. And as God's word says, when we sinned, what we earned was the wages of sin, which is death, separation between us and God, 
we've gone. We've eternally separated, and that's what we earned. That's what we deserve. That's what we're running to. We are runaways. And when we are runaways, we are useless in God's mission. I'm coming back. While our mission at work is to contribute to the company, our mission at home to contribute to the family, God's mission for all Christians is this. To joyfully and sacrificially declare and demonstrate that the glory of Christ is more precious than life. And thus, to help all people, including all ethnic groups in all the religions of the world, to discover the glory of Christ as their only hope of true and everlasting joy. Thank you, John Piper. It's only when we believe in Jesus that our character is transformed from being useless to useful from being useless in God's mission to becoming active participants in it. We are no longer characterized as runaways or as disobedient, but as servants and as children. Why? Because when we're part of the family, when we've believed, we're useful because God now gives us his Holy Spirit and a desire to be used. Why? So that others would experience the same glory of Christ and hope, and the hope that we have of true and everlasting joy. Our character is transformed when we become part of God's family, and he sends us on mission. The third transformation that happens when we're part of God's family is in our relationships between members of the family. As Paul gets to this last point, the last basis for his appeal, he drops this one on us in verse 15 and 16. He says, For perhaps this is why he is parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever. No longer as bondservant, but more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother. Paul has already said, Onesimus has a new identity. He's a child of mine and ultimately a child of God's. Paul has already said Onesimus' character has fundamentally been transformed to being useful and as one who now serves. But now, it's as if Paul looks at Philemon in the face through the letter and says, and by the way, he's your brother, your beloved brother. You guys, this this is crazy. (laughs) This is crazy. The runaway slave, the one who's stolen from him, who's just now been sent back, is to be viewed as his brother. God says despite there being different value given to people by the world, Philemon, you should view Onesimus with equal value. With equal value as your brother, your beloved brother. You guys, I've grown up with one brother. And this is how I would treat him. And Ben, since you're here, I'll just say it to you, bro. If you were ever out of a job and you needed a place to stay, my home's yours. 
if you ever couldn't take care of yourself, I would do anything in my power to take care of you. If you were being mistreated, I would stand up for you. If you were sad, I would comfort you. If I had good news for you, you know I'll be sharing with you as long as I can. Because Ben, I love you, my brother. See, that's what Paul's talking about. He's saying, treat him like your brother. Can you see how crazy that is? Treat a slave, an indentured servant like that. That's incredible. Nobody else thinks so. It's incredible. In the world around us, people are given different values, and we know it because we see it. People are wrongly viewed according to their economic status, race, education, employment, height, strength, gender, ethnic background. But in the family of God, we're to treat one another as brother, as sister, as family. That's God's desire for us. When Jesus was crucified for our sins on the tree, we're actually given a great visual in the cross itself of what God had accomplished. God's word says, on him was laid the iniquity or sin of us all. And Jesus has made a way to receive the gift of God, eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. When we put our faith in Jesus, we experience a union, a deep abiding relationship with Christ. He takes our sins away and we stand in his righteousness. We stand in eternal life reconciled to God. That is the visual of the cross upwards and downwards that reminds us of our reconciliation between a holy God and us, sinful man. In accomplishing reconciliation between God and man, now man can be reconciled with man. Because Christ has forgiven our sins, reconciling us back to God, now God's word says, forgive as the Lord forgave you. Jesus also accomplished the reconciliation to take place between people so that we can enjoy a God-honoring, fruitful relationship with one another. This is God's desire for us, to treat one another as brother, as sister, and as family. This is the transformation that happens in our relationships when we're in the family of God. In closing, I want to remind and exhort us of the beauty that Paul is describing in Philemon 8 to 16. Paul is laying the basis of his appeal, stating that Onesimus has been changed forever because he has become part of the family of God. His identity, his relationships, and his character has been changed. They've been transformed. This morning, there's good news. If you are not yet in the family of God, God is inviting you to repent from running away. Believe in Jesus for the forgiveness of sin, eternal life, and be reconciled with God today. There's a place for you in the family. No matter your background, 
no matter how far you've run, God can transform your life, giving you the name of son or daughter, making you useful in his sight, bringing you into his family. If you are a part of God's family this morning, be encouraged and reminded of your identity. When you believed in Jesus, think back to the time or the season when you put your faith in Christ. By God's grace, he has called you son or daughter. Remember the time that you were united with him in death and resurrection and baptism. He's called you my child. And he is your heavenly father. When you look around this morning and on your way out, remember that we are family. We're not against each other. We're not competing with one another. We don't view those around us with lesser value, but we're for one another to build them up in love and good works because we're family. And this morning, be reminded lastly of the urgency to participate in God's mission. I'm pleading with you now. I was reminded this weekend in the passing of a loved one that you never know how much time others have. We don't have time not to share the good news with others. It's God's desire that people become part of his family. So we need to go and tell others about Jesus. Making disciples, sharing our lives with people, even when it's difficult for us. Because we believe this, that no matter what people's past, there's, their future can be transformed by the power of God. There's a place for them in the family. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you as your children. And we're grateful that we can run into your loving arms where you comfort us. You are our refuge. You're with us. You see us. You provide for us. For adopting us into the family, we magnify your name. We glorify Christ this morning for making it possible. God, we worship you. It's our only response. Father, as we continue to worship you this morning in song, I pray, Father, that you'd allow us to look inward at what you're doing in our hearts. Father, and that we would pour it all out. We would pour out our lives. We would run with you on your mission to seek and save the lost, those who have yet to be reconciled to your family. God, help us to love our brothers in the process brothers and sisters, so that you may receive glory and that all would be attracted to you and what you have accomplished in us. God, the reconciliation of God and man. We bless you this morning in Jesus' name.